the new normal. Some of you are probably sick of that phrase. I've heard it a lot since we decided this was going to be the sermon series. I thought, oh man, it's going to be a little bit of an overkill. But that's exactly what we're in right now with this virus. It has caused a seismic shift in not only the thinking, but in the, the way of life in our society and culture now. Things that were not important six months ago are a high priority today. I mean, I never thought in my lifetime toilet paper would be more valuable than bread and milk, okay? You go to the store and there's plenty of food, but not enough toilet paper. And they kind of go hand in hand, but that's beside the point. But it's just kind of weird, the priorities that have shifted and changed in such a short amount of time. And, and those are changes that I don't think are going to go away when, when again, the, the threat of the virus dies down. But those are permanent changes. And so what we're living through right now is what we call a threshold moment. Threshold moment is just one of those moments in life where you, when you cross over that threshold, life isn't going to be the same again. The world is going to be a little bit different. And we've experienced several threshold moments throughout our lives. Some of those moments were great moments in your life. You think about when you turned 16 and got your driver's license. That was a great moment. Life changed at that point. You think about when you graduated and left home, whether you went to college or, or to military or just got out on your own. That's a threshold moment. Maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was your first child or second child or third child, the fourth and fifth, yeah, you got it down by then. Uh, maybe it's when your children leave home and your empty nest. Maybe it's retirement. All these things are, are, are moments that, that fundamentally change our life. Of course, the greatest change is when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That should have changed everything, right? Changed your heart, your mind, the way you live, the way you looked at this world. You go from looking at temporary to now realizing I'm an eternal being with a greater purpose. So there's some threshold moments that are good. There's some that we choose to walk through, and then there's some moments where life seems to shove us through it whether we want to or not. These are the moments like when your parents say, we're getting a divorce, or when your boss says, we're going to let you go, or when the doctor says, it's cancer, or when your spouse says, I'm leaving. Those are tough moments. And they fundamentally change our lives and who we are. And we would call those some of the worst moments of our lives. But whether a threshold moment is good or bad, whether it's initiated or imposed, change is always difficult. See, change represents a threat to our sense of security. Because any change means we're moving into a, a new environment where we are unfamiliar with what's happening. Uh, things are just a little bit different. It doesn't have to be a dramatic change, but, but it just challenges us, and it breeds fear in our lives. I, I've actually been struggling with that since I moved here to Clinton. I've uh, been a minister for 30-plus uh, years in various churches, been a preaching minister for 13 years, and I'm surprised how stressed out I get preaching to you on Sundays. Well, part of it is because I don't know you well, you don't know me well. I'm not the guy you're used to seeing. You're not the people I'm used to pre preaching to. I, I never know how things are going to go. And so it creates an anxiety that I'm certain will go away someday. But the point is, it's just the change. I'm doing the same thing, but I'm doing it in a different environment. And that unknown 
breeds anxiety. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. Maybe some of you are feeling that right now. With this virus, there's some changes, some shifts in your life where, where maybe your job has changed, even from going into an office to working at home, and how's that going to work? Or, or maybe your job is being uh, taken away, and you're having to think through a different job or a different career. Maybe your business is not as strong as it used to be, and you're concerned about your livelihood. Maybe some of you parents have been forced to uh, homeschool your kids, that's got to create some anxiety. You know, there's so much that's going on in our lives that's, that's changed and has, has created this problem. And then we just look in the bigger picture and all the, the turmoil and the protests and the injustice that's happening in our, in our country. And this is just a stressful time that we're living in. A lot of anxiety in our nature. But just because our circumstances are stressful, that doesn't mean that we personally have to be stressed. We're not supposed to carry that anxiety. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will go guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to really catch the power of this verse. It's really to read, easy to read this verse and say, well, that's a great sentiment, but it's not very practical. How am I not supposed to be anxious or stressed out when so much of my life seems to be falling apart? We sometimes read these things and think those people don't understand life today. Yeah, let me remind you what was happening when Paul wrote this letter. This was the point where the Christians were being persecuted, both by the Jewish people who wanted them to stop preaching about Jesus Christ, but they were also beginning to get some of the persecution from Roman people as well. In fact, the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, is in prison. Most scholars believe he's in prison at Rome at the time because he was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul, through his missionary journeys, had experienced riots and arrests and it was even beaten at the hands of the authorities because of his stance of Jesus being the one true Savior. Paul's even waiting to see if he can appeal to Caesar. And what we find is that this book was written somewhere in the early uh, 60 AD, 60 to 62 AD. Well, 64 AD is when Rome, a good portion of Rome, uh, the city burned down, and Nero was in charge, and he blamed the Christians, and that's when full-scale persecution went against the church. So don't tell Paul that he doesn't understand trouble. Don't tell early Christians they don't understand uh, civil unrest and persecution. They understand it a lot better than we do. And so Paul still writes, do not be anxious about anything. Now, how can we not be anxious when our lives are in jeopardy? Well, understand, it doesn't mean that we can't worry. It doesn't mean that, that, that we don't have concern. Paul's not in denial about his situation. He, he's not telling the, uh, the church to be Pollyanna, just kind of stick your head in the sand and, and don't worry about the things that are going on in life. What he's saying is, is don't let your anxiety control you. Don't let it dictate how you feel and what you say and dictate your actions. 
But we are to take these things. The, the action that our anxiety should produce within us is that it should drive us to our knees. This is where to present these requests to God in prayer. We're to take it to him and let him know uh, what is going on in our lives. And it says that when we pray, that God's going to give us a supernatural peace, a peace that guards your heart and your mind. Have you ever felt that kind of peace? A peace in the midst of chaos where you can't even explain it yourself. Or maybe you've seen someone else with that kind of peace. You know, over the years of ministry, I've dealt with a lot of people who are going through tragic situations. People who were terminally ill on the last days of their life, on their deathbed, or, or dealing with family members that were on their deathbed, or had some kind of tragic loss in their life. And I, I have more than a few who just being around them, you just got that sense that they were calm. They were confident. They understood the gravity of their situation. They understood the loss, and they certainly grieved that loss, but there was just something about them that gave them a sense of strength and security, and that something, of course, was their hope in Jesus Christ. Their trust in a Savior who not only experienced death himself, but he conquered death through the resurrection. And because of that, they knew the promise that we've been given were, is written in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, you have no victory. O death, where is your sting? See, we have peace that comes from Christ because we trust in him. Our hope, this faith, is what grounds us and keeps us secure in uncertain times. Our text this morning, if you'd open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, it, it uses the illustration of an anchor. Today's sermon is an anchor in the storms. And it talks about this hope that we have that secures us. It says there in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary from behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. See, there's nothing more volatile than a sea during the storm. You know, the waves just uh, begin to, to grow as the winds begin to grow, and, and it just splashes back and forth, and there's such power with water. There's power with weather. And you, you think back, especially in the first century, where they had these, these wooden boats, and they were big boats, but they, they weren't like the cruise ships and the things that we can think of today. And those boats were at the complete mercy of the waves. Those wooden boats would just get batted back and forth as the, as the storms grew bigger and bigger, and, and, and there's nothing the sailors could do except hold on and ride out the storm. I mean, I imagine it's a very terrifying experience. And you can go back and read about Jonah's experience. Or you can read about uh, the disciples that were crossing the, the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 4. Or even Paul when he was shipwrecked in Acts 27. And, and see the fear and the struggle in those storms. And that's what, what was going on as we see uh, kind of this analogy of, of having this anchor. One way a boat can survive in a storm is to be secured. And so they would have an anchor, and the anchor's job was to secure the boat, whether it's to, to, to drop it and catch it on some kind of a rock or reef, or, or sometimes the anchor would go down to the seabed, and because of the way the anchor, it actually sink a little bit into the soft sand. And when it does, it created a, a suction effect that would hold on to the anchor. 
And so while on the surface, the boat was swaying back and forth, and, and it would drift over this way, and it would drift over that way, and just be at the mercy of the wind. And so on the surface, everything looked chaotic, but down underneath, it was locked in. It was secure. Do you get the picture that the writer's trying to give us here? He says, our hope is an anchor for our soul. So whatever's happening on the outside, whatever is going on around you, or even in your uh, emotions, in your mind, understand that your soul should be secure because we have this incredible trust in Jesus Christ. Life is going to come at us hard. It's going to change. It's going to shift. We can't control our circumstances. But we can control whether or not our circumstances have power over us. You see, if we, we're not connected to anything, then we're going to be ruled by our fear, our anger, and our uncertainty. But as believers, we have the hope of Jesus Christ, a hope that keeps us secure in who we are, in what we believe, in our values, in our decision-making during these difficult times. All of it helps us to stay on course and keeps us centered in him. Of course, the anchor is only as strong as to what it's hooked into. And so we need something firm, something that will not be moved. And I think that's as we talk about the series of the new normal. We're talking about adapting to changes. So what are the things that don't change? What are the things that are stable in life that we can absolutely hold on to so that when everything else is in chaos, we are secure? Well, let me give you three truths that absolutely do not change. And these are truths that when you think about your faith, this is what you are anchored into. The first one is simply this. God is always in control. He is always in control. In fact, uh, uh, repeat after me. Always in control. I know I sprung that on you. Let me try that again. Always in control. Type that in online if you're, you're watching with us. God is always in control. This is not just sometimes. This isn't most of the time. God's not just in control of your life when things are going good. Hashtag blessed life. It feels like God's in control in the good times. But when things start going bad, when there starts to become chaos in our lives, we start to say, God, where are you? God, why aren't you fixing this? God, why aren't you answering my prayers? And we began to question his control. And I want you to come back to this truth. God is always in control. Always. Listen to what God says about himself in Isaiah 46. He says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. God says, there's no one like me. You can't even comprehend. There, there's not even a comparison that we can give to God. There has never been a leader who's in complete control at all times like God. He has absolute power and authority in all things. We watched the protests, and, and some of the protesters got certainly out of line and began looting and, and destroying property and police standing back. And, and to some degree, they just had to let some things happen because they weren't in control. Do you realize our God can say one word and all things stop? Jesus can say calm and the winds and the seas become still. 
That's our God. He doesn't have to work. He just speaks, and his will is done. I love how it says that, that I make known the end from the beginning. What he's saying is before I even said, let there be light, I knew what was going to happen. I knew how the world was going to go. I knew creation. I knew man was going to rebel against me. I knew there was going to be a fall. I knew there was going to be a need for a Savior. God knows all things. He knows who will accept him and who will not. God knows even to the very minutia of the time when he comes back and he brings in the new heaven and the new earth. God is in control. You may not understand that. You may not always believe that or feel that. But our faith has to come back to this rock of truth that he is always on his throne and his sovereignty uh, will be known to all people. Look again, verse 10, he says, I, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. See, this is such an important point for us because God is at work and he's moving. And what, notice there in the verse, it doesn't say, and I will do all that you please. I'll work everything out just the way you think it should work out. I'll answer your prayers the way you want them to be answered because let's face it, we all have sat here. If we've all prayed more than one or two prayers, we've had prayers that weren't answered the way we wanted. And our life hasn't worked exactly the way we thought it would. But God says, my purpose remain. And I have a bigger plan and a bigger picture that's way beyond Jeff Johnson and way beyond you and your personal needs. And he's working all things out for his good. And you may ask yourself, where's God in all this? Why isn't he doing something? If you hadn't asked this question when the world was out of control, you certainly thought it when your personal life is out of control. But ultimately, our belief has to come back to this truth, this truth that I believe that God is on his throne and all things will work out for his purpose and his plan. The second truth that we see here is that God's word is always true. Now let me ask you this. Who do you trust for an accurate source of information in this world today? Do you have a certain news organization? Are you a CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox News, CNN? Do you turn them on and whatever they say, you're like, that's got to be true. Well, I hope not. <laughs> I hope you don't go to Facebook and think that's got to be true. I mean, I've seen the same meme or the same video over and over and over. It's reposted, so it's got to be true, right? I mean, anything we read on the Internet, uh, someone had to put it there. It's got to be true. We live in a time of fake news. We live in a time where you really don't know what is true. I mean, especially with the Internet, you can get misinformation out to the masses without any fact-checking or any accountability. This is a frustrating time, especially for a guy like me. I like things black and white. I, I want to know fact. I don't care about fiction. But I even recognize it's not even just the things you read. It's you can look at a, a video or, or a soundbite or something that, or a picture that has been manipulated, that has been taken out of context so that it could say whatever it is that uh, the person uh, wants to say and, and prove their narrative. See, there's a point where we just have to say what is true. And for us as Christians, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about fake news because we have the good news. God's word is always true. I want you to say that, always true. Caught you off again, I know. Here we go, always true. Always true. There we go. Let me hear 
Uh, let me read to you what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, For this you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men, like grass and all of their glory, is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. He's saying is the gospel message, the truth of Jesus Christ. It endures. This is the same gospel that Peter preached in the day of Pentecost thousands of years ago. It's the same truth today. In fact, we can walk through that. Wouldn't you agree that uh, nobody in this world is uh, righteous? Wouldn't you agree that we've all sinned? I mean, good people, nice people, they've got some flaws. They've got some things about them that, that, don't, that may disqualify them from being perfect. Wouldn't you agree with that? Wouldn't you agree that uh, sin has a destructive pattern and that when sin is left unchecked, that it ends up destroying and tearing down and creating heartache and misery? I mean, we're seeing that played out in our news on a, on a cultural scale, but, but that's true in a, in a personal scale. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, some of us, because of the way sin has devastated our lives, would say, Amen. Wouldn't you agree that there's nothing we can do to cure our sin? Wouldn't you agree that there's nothing that we can do to fix our problems, that we need help? Yes. I think non-Christians would agree with those fundamental truths, and these are the first truths of the gospel message. Now, the next part of the gospel message requires some faith. That faith is, is that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth, who created each of us so that we may know him. And that God has seen our sin that has separated us from him, but loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And that Jesus Christ came, and he is the only way to heaven. Now that part's on faith, I admit. But that is the gospel message. That was the gospel message uh, back for Peter and James and John and Paul. And that's the gospel message for every pulpit today. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. You see, God's word is always true. I don't care how culture changes. I don't care how uh, people have sh shifted their minds on what is acceptable now that wasn't acceptable back then. It really just doesn't matter. What matters is, is that Jesus Christ is the hope for humanity. And that does not change. His word does not change. It's still the truth in which we build our lives and teach us how to walk in righteousness. And in a time of fake news, how wonderful it is that we can always hold on to God's truth. The third rock that we see is God's purpose for your life always remains the same. God's purpose for your life always remains the same. Say, always remain the same. That was a long one, I know. I was, I'm pushing you now, but this is our third point. We're almost at the, the finish line here. Always remains the same. Do you understand that God's purpose for you has not changed? No matter what has shifted in your life, no matter what your future looks like, one thing is always crystal clear, and that's what God wants or expects from you. That's true for us in a very personal level. God's purpose for you is uh, summed up by the great commandment. When Jesus said, when asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So it says, what does God want from me? He wants you to, to love him. With all your heart, all your mind, your soul, your strength, with all of your being, he wants you to be completely surrendered to him. That's true whatever job you have. That's true in whatever city you live in. That's true. You can change so many things uh, about your life, but that is going to be consistent. You can change your appearance. You can change your community. You can change your friends. You can change your opinions. You can change your politics. You can change your hopes and your dreams. But the one thing that should be consistent is your purpose to know God and to love him with all that you are. We are called to be in a relentless pursuit of our Heavenly Father and making Him number one priority of our lives. That's our purpose for our personal life. Now, God also has a purpose for us collectively as His church. It's a purpose for us. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is always going to be the purpose for the church. This is the commission given to us. And just because our times change, just because our culture changed, just because the sentiment within the church has changed, God hasn't changed what he expects from us, that we are to be out reaching the lost and loving people and coming alongside of them and building them up in Christ so they may grow and mature in him. I'll tell you, I've been a part of the church. I was go, started going to church when I was two years old. So I've been a part of the church for 48 years. Some of it just as a person going with my family, some of it as a minister on staff. And I can tell you, I've seen a lot of changes over that time. I've seen changes in methodology, changes in worship style, music, and programming, and ministry, strategy, and, and all kinds of changes. I'm sure there's several of you here that, that are older than me and maybe been in church longer than me, and you, you can think back of a lot of the changes that have happened just here within this church as well. And, and I'll just warn you this, there's probably more changes coming for the church. And I don't mean us specifically, I just mean in general, because our culture's changing, we have to change in order to meet and connect with the next generation. There's more changes coming, but, but this is what we know, first and foremost. We don't change the message, and we don't change the purpose. God's not called us to hide in the shadows and just kind of write out the changes. God doesn't say, you just go as a, as a group and you huddle together and you just wait, and hopefully people will find you. Hope I'll send them to you. God says, go. That means to leave where you're at. That means you have to cross some thresholds yourself. That may be go where it means across the street to a neighbor's house. That go may be across a couple of cubicles to, to somebody that you know is going through a difficult time, a co-worker. It means go to somebody that you run across in the grocery store or out at the restaurant. point is we're supposed to be out in the world. We're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to be the salt. That is the purpose that God has given us as a church we are to make disciples, moving people from lost to saved, saved to mature, mature to ministry. We all have growth to do in our lives until Christ comes back and we, are, uh, we shed this imperfect body and we are uh, given our spiritual body. We all have room to grow, and that's what we're called to do. Anything that gets in our way as a purpose as a church, 
is a distraction. And a distraction will render us ineffective, and that's exactly where Satan wants us. Satan loves churches that don't care about the lost. Satan loves churches that just care about themselves, that, that sit in their holy huddle and do nothing. That's, that's exactly what he wants from us. He does not want us to fulfill the purpose that God has because Satan knows what we just talked about, and that's the power of the gospel message. Satan knows that people are lost and empty and need to hear, and that word is living and active, and that will absolutely transform them if they just hear that God loves them. Christ died for them, that they just need to give themselves and surrender themselves to him. And if they do, there's new life. You know, as we try to figure out how to navigate through this new normal, we have to remain true to the purpose of God, both personally and corporately as well. So we're talking about anchors. We talked about some rocks that we could hold on to. My question to you is very simple. What is your life anchored to right now? What is your life anchored to? I would bet that this pandemic has probably opened your eyes to some things that were a priority to you that maybe you didn't even realize. Because I tell you, if your anchor is to a job or to a career, if it's to a reputation, if it's to success, if it's to achievements, if it's to relationships, even to family, if, if you're anchored to any of these things that are of the world, I would tell you, if it hasn't already come, a time will come where that's going to be taken away. Because the Bible is very clear that the world and all the things that are in the world are temporary. So there's going to be a time where you're going to have a crisis in your life because the things that you held on to, you're going to realize aren't stable to sustain you. So we need to look for the things that are eternal, the things that will keep us safe and secure so we're not carried away by fear and anxiety and uncertainty. Our hope is in God's sovereignty. It's in his truth, his word, and it's in his purpose for our lives. That, it should be the anchor to our soul. Let's pray. Great Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for giving us this firm rock, this foundation, this security that we hold on to. Father, it is your truth that we lean on in times of uncertainty and confusion. And Father God, I, I pray right now for our church family, for those here who over the last few weeks, uh, life has just been absolutely flipped upside down. Maybe today they came in with a great amount of stress and anxiety, uncertain about the future and what it holds. Father, I pray that, that your spirit is convicting them, encouraging them to, to anchor into you and that you will go with us. Father, we always pray for storms to go away, but but. Truth be told, Father, most of the time, you just want to be with us and, and guide us through that storm. Because it's through that storm that faith is developed and perfected. It's through that storm where we become strong in our commitment to you. Father, you will prove yourself worthy. Please give us the faith that will hold on to you, that will allow you to prove yourself worthy. Let us prove our faithfulness so that we may be strong in all things. We love you, Father, in your son's holy name. Amen. You know, in that verse there in Hebrews, 
chapter 6. Again, let me read it. It says, For we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, I love that imagery because it's a direct reference, the, the idea that this anchor goes behind the veil, and that, that's a reference to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God in the temple, and saying that our anchor holds into God's throne, into his authority. You understand in Jewish times that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, but he'd have to do it every year, and he'd take with him the blood of, of bulls as a sacrifice for the sins of the nation. Well, later on in Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about Jesus being the perfect high priest and it says that, that he sacrificed once and for all people, for all time, and then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, we don't have a high priest that has to keep going to God on our behalf. His sacrifice was enough. So as we come to a time of communion, this should represent the hope that you have, that you have a Savior who died once and it will cover all your sins. It covers the sins of the entire world. And this, as we take these emblems, as we take the bread, and we take the juice, it reminds us that we are anchored and secured in a Savior who sits at the right hand of the throne of God and that we will appear with him in glory. The band's going to play. I encourage you to just take some time to pray and meditate. And when you feel moved to come down and to take the emblems and take communion and remember Remember the Savior who gave you eternal life.